bringing you the truth behind the news. Welcome to The New American. Welcome, everyone. I'm Paul Dragu. We're glad you can join us. The United States has generally been considered a civilized country with relatively fair justice and election systems. While many countries are governed by oligarchs and dictators, the U.S. has been advertised as a nation where the people decide its leaders and policies. Americans have prided themselves on being the masters of their own fate. Unfortunately, the last few years have thrown cold water on that characterization. Donald Trump's 2016 election was a watershed moment that began revealing that things were not as they seemed. Trump's election sent the deep state, the shadowy figures making up the permanent government, into overdrive. The last eight years have exposed the media as the deep state's propaganda ministry, the justice system as its Gestapo, and our elections vulnerable to forces who are determined not to lose power ever again. 2024 is being called the year of elections, and it's not just Americans who are holding elections, but many other countries. In a lot of those countries, the elections are just a formality. The winner has already been determined, and everything has been put in place to portray a veneer of legitimacy, while below the surface, the proper mechanisms are already there to ensure the desired outcome of those in power. All this begs two questions. Is the United States now any different from those banana republics? And how should America's republic form of government work? And join me to answer those questions are editor-in-chief of the New American Magazine, Gary Benoit, and executive senior editor, Steve Bonta. Welcome, gentlemen. Hey, Paul. Hello. Hey, so Steve, we were talking about this, I think, a few days ago, and you had a list in your head of the countries that are holding elections. Uh, most of them are banana republics. Uh, can you start out with that, kind of a little rundown there, and uh, show how what's happening there, and then we could assess uh, how close we are to being like those banana republics. Well, there have been a number of elections already held this year. I think, I think Bangladesh was the first, oh. uh, but, uh, but of, of, of the countries that are supposedly going to have elections this year, let, let's look at the record, okay? Supposedly. <laughs> well, or, or countries that are, you know, th th that are in the near future. I'm not sure that they're all of them are this year, but Russia, for example, mm. is purportedly having elections later this year. The, the, the anointed monarch of Russia, Vladimir Putin, of course, is going to get reelected. Yeah. He has already banned two opposition candidates from the ballot. Uh, Imran Khan of Pakistan is in jail. He was, he, was, he, he was put on trial and jailed for corruption. And, and so to prevent him from running for like, – it's rather complicated politics there. But basically uh, forces within and without Pakistan want – uh, Nawaz Sharif instead, because he's a military guy that 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 they feel can be more trusted to tamp down on terrorism and so forth. So Khan is in jail. Pakistan is in turmoil because his supporters voted anyway, but he was banned from the ballot. Meanwhile, there's Venezuela. It's been ba banning all opposition to uh, to Maduro, mm. and uh, there's Brazil where they're they're busy uh, putting the finishing touches on uh, lawfare uh, campaign against Jair Bolsonaro, the, the former president of Brazil. He will doubtless be jailed as well. And of course, now here in the United States, uh, President Trump will be the first American, you know, ex-U.S. president to go on criminal trial on March 28th. This is one of several criminal trials. We cover a lot of this. This one is, is happening, apparently, and it's regarding the, these ridiculous charges of the, the hush money, I think the Stormy Daniels yeah. case, and all of that. The goal is, of course, to jail Trump as quickly as possible. All right, so... In terms of the reality 
of what's going on right now, we are in Banana Republic territory. There is no difference now between the way we are carrying out our electoral politics and our so-called democracy than the likes of Pakistan and mm. Venezuela and Russia. And well, I mean, other Senegal was another one, uh, uh, supposedly a democratic success story in West Africa. Well, they just canceled their elections this year because they deemed things too unstable uh, to, to proceed. So, you, you know, the one pretext after another. Yeah. All right. And there's no telling that we won't end up there. There's no telling what could happen where the government will say, well, uh, we can't have elections. There's a lot of chaos and whatnot. When do you think this all went really south? Because we have been talking about the deep state or the insiders, as we call them, the conspiracy regarding the whole uh, network, the global network. But when do you think we crossed over into territory where we have lost as a people, for the most part, or to a greater degree, the ability to choose our leaders and policies? What do you think, Gary? It's tough. It's, huh? hard, it's tough. It's hard to say exactly when we cross the Rubicon. And uh, even at this state, even though I agree with Steve that we're in Banana Republic territory, uh, it is still possible, still realistically possible to save our, our freedoms. But it's, it's going to take the, the efforts of all of us. But this conspiracy, and I dare to use the word conspiracy, the C word, this conspiracy has been around for generations. And so the problem can go back to generations. And uh, I would cite is Exhibit A, the Communist Manifesto. Uh, because in the Communist Manifesto, Karl Marx provides 10 planks for bringing about communism. And uh, a couple of those flanks, planks in particular I like to point to, and uh, one is uh, a central bank. And, of course, we got the American version of the central bank back in 1913. 13. And then the other is a graduated progressive income tax. We got that in 1913 as well. And so you could say in terms of the United States going down the slippery slope to communism, uh, you could say that we are already 20% of the way in 1913. Mm -hmm. But I, I would say during the COVID era in particular, with the lockdowns, when Americans mm. found that uh, they could not go to the church, uh, but Planned Parenthood could keep functioning, when small businessmen were forced to close their doors while big box stores were able to uh, operate. Right, and, and rake uh, it And when many clean. workers were not allowed to go to work and they had to stay in their homes while others were considered uh, essential workers, mm -hmm. Uh, my goodness, that, that made things so obvious as to the direction of the country. Yeah. And, of course, if we don't do something, uh, all that is going to come back in even a, a bigger way. You might even look at that as a uh, trial balloon. But people are waking up. And uh, I think we have a greater opportunity here than perhaps uh, some other places in the world uh, where freedoms are, are winning because of our, our great heritage of freedom, because of the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, yeah. uh, our uh, right to keep and bear arms, uh, the concept of a local police force and, as opposed to a national Gestapo or uh, national police force. And, but the real key, I think, Paul, is hanging on to that Constitution because we ever lose the Constitution, albeit through a constitutional convention, yeah. or, uh, but if the Constitution disappears, we have nothing to go back to. But as long as we have the Constitution... Uh, is uh, is attacked as it is, is trampled upon as it is. As long as we keep that Constitution, it is a fortress that we can go back to, and it's something we can apply once again as soon as the Great Awakening enables that to be possible. I'm going to go back to Steve. I might want to ask the same question. When do you think we cross the Rubicon? Because uh, we believe, or well, maybe I believe, but it seems like from all the literature we put out and what we know is 
there always has been, or has been, at least for generations, some sort of control over the presidency in some way and things like that. But clearly that's not the case, fully the case, because we saw with Trump's election. So where do you think things really took a t turn to, uh, south, Steve? Well, I think you just answered your own question. I mean, it's, it's very, the, the term crossing the Rubicon, of course, refers specifically to Julius Caesar's fateful decision to cross the Rubicon under arms and, and in effect to challenge you know, the whole rule of law in ancient Rome. But there were a number of other, you know, inflection points in Roman history prior to that, the rise of the Gracchi brothers, the Cimbrian War, and the rise of Marius and Sulla, all the rest of this stuff that led to that. So it's hard to find one particular point. But in our time, it's the ascent of Trump. No question about it. Uh, COVID was a very important sub factor subsequent to that, of course. But all of these monkey shines that we've been talking about, and of course, now all this lawfare is targeting one guy. Yeah. Okay. I mean, and it's it's so it's pretty clear because you know we we used to preach and and we still really do here that you know the house is the key that the, the establishment effectively controls the gates to the White House. Don't focus your energies in trying to get a knight in a white charger into the White House to change things. That said, Trump took him by surprise in 2016, and they're determined that that will never happen again because he. In his, his persona poses a mortal threat to, to the people we now refer to as the deep state. We used to call them the insiders, yeah. this kind of thing. Okay, So that's, it, it's, it, that's where this thing has, you know, the, the chaos has yeah. really been unleashed, and it's not going to stop. This, this blatant use of lawfare is, is so apparent that it's, it indicates, I think, some form of desperation. Uh, it, that's, I think that's what's happening there. Um, we're going to discuss other elements of, of what makes our republic so special and it makes it better than a democracy. We're going to be right back and discuss that. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The Declaration of Independence proclaims God-given rights and we intend to protect them. Working with people like you for over 50 years. Preserving freedom and building a better tomorrow. Safeguarding the Constitution by limiting government power. We are restoring liberties, educating voters, and leading the freedom movement. Join with us. United, we will defend our rights. We are all Americans. We are the John Birch Society. Welcome back, folks. So we, before we get back into our conversation, Steve, you have something very exciting to tell folks about. I do. And we mentioned this in yesterday's show. We're going to keep mentioning it. So next Wednesday, next Wednesday evening at 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Central, we are going to be airing for anyone to see on our website uh, our, our exclusive interview with Marjorie Taylor Greene. It was many months in the making. And as it turns out, our, our very able senior editor uh, and interviewer extraordinaire, Veronica Kirilenko, finally managed to interview Ms. Green for about an hour. It's pretty lengthy. It's very yeah. detailed. And the, it's somewhat historic because as soon as the interview was over, Representative Green had to leave and go and vote yeah. in the Mayorkas impeachment for the second time. So it was at a very, very amazing time. And we just want to, to encourage all of you to, to watch this 
when the time comes. I take it she pulled no punches. I know that you two have uh, reviewed at least part We're of it. We're in the, the process. At least yeah. part. Yeah. Uh, time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Great stuff. Yeah. Uh, time has been a challenge, but I, I watched about uh, half of it so far. Yeah. It's really good. She's a dynamo, that's for sure. All right, so let's go... Uh, Let's go back to more depressing matters here. Steve thinks we're in a banana republic. Uh, go ahead and continue your, your thoughts there, Steve. Well, and to qualify that, I mean, the difference is de jure versus de facto. I mean, we, we, we talk about the Constitution. So de jure, meaning according to the law, we're certainly not. We still have the world's greatest constitution on paper. Yes. But the de facto reality that mm -hmm. we need to confront is that most of it is being systematically ignored. In some cases, some of the best features have been, have been overridden by ill-advised amendments. For example, the amendment that brought in the, 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 uh, the permanent graduated income tax, okay, which is a feature of, of Marxism, as Gary mentioned earlier. It's in the Communist Manifesto. So unfortunately, the Constitution, while some of the amendments and changes that have been made since its inception probably were, were proper and appropriate, many of them have not been. So, so this, is, this is an issue. But, but looking at the, the de facto aspects, okay, here's the reality. We now have a naked effort to use any means necessary, absolutely cynical, absolutely calculated, coordinated on multiple fronts to jail an opposition candidate. Okay. Now, back in the 1990s, I remember, for example, a country that was then you know, today is fairly developed, but it was a typical third world country back then, Malaysia. There was a guy, I think his name was Ibrahim or something like this. He was an opposition candidate to, to a guy who's actually still alive. Um, and now I'm forgetting his name. But anyway, the longtime strongman ruler of Malaysia, and he challenged him, and they basically put him in jail on various spurious charges. And people look at that and go, tisk tisk. Yeah, that's what they do in third world countries. Okay, I used to live in a in India, and I remember that there was a, the particular part of India that I lived in. There was this constant vendetta between these two characters that that represented rival factions. And every time one of them would be elected president, it would immediately jail the other. And he or she, one was a woman, one was a man. Okay, and he would sit in jail until the next elections came along. Then he or she got out of jail, would immediately jail the other person. <laughs> it went back and forth. Okay, so, so then people say, okay, well, why would you use a term like banana republic? Well, banana republic is kind of another term for democracy, and we need to draw that distinction. Okay, yeah. this is typical of how real democracy works. Just look at the French Revolution. The French successfully put in place a democracy, and it went back and forth and back and forth from one faction to another with the losing faction not only getting jailed, but frequently beheaded as well. Uh, you, you know, the tumbrils and the guillotines were very active during that whole period. And that was effectively whatever faction ended up on top, literally culling the opposition. Okay. I, and, and so, and so we're not, we're maybe not quite to that point yet, but, but, you know, in, in principle, there is no difference with what's going on, not with, not just with Trump, but with a large number of his supporters yeah. and with other people. I mean, at what point are we going to turn on, oh, I don't know, a brash character, like say Carrie Lake, who also had the effrontery to challenge the you know the establishment line on the elections and all the rest mm -hmm. of this you know i mean i mean people are be it is now being criminalized to criticize certain key narratives that on, on which the the power of the deep state crucially depends one of them being is that our elections unlike all those other countries out there our elections are squeaky clean okay well, and don't you dare say otherwise 
Well, what, one of the things they're saying now is if Trump is elected, he's going to jail his enemies. Uh, Pure projection. Yes, it is. But I am wondering, you mentioned Carrie Lake, you mentioned Trump. Before that, the people who are becoming president and Congress in general, they were with the program, right? So maybe what we're seeing is, is a result of um, the public changing uh, it's a result of having a MAGA, an America first president, which was not the case with obviously with Obama. It was not the case with the Bushes, certainly not the case with Clinton. It's questionable that was what the case with Reagan. What do, what do you think, Gary? You usually have a sunny, optimistic view. Does that sound I, I'm not even sure that is optimistic, but I, I guess I'm trying. I'm not trying to. It seems like there, that that may be the silver lining. I, I want to get you guys thoughts on that, that what we're seeing is not necessarily a result of the system or the deep state changing or its existence, but uh, a response to the fact that people now are realizing what the truth is. They're rising up. They're pushing back against that. And, and, and as a result, we're seeing the d deep state having to show itself. Well, what we're seeing is a great awakening. And that great awakening is leading to a great activation. And looking at it from the point of view and of everyday Americans, it may look like, my, my goodness, it's absolutely hopeless. Uh, because look at the power of these people. Uh, mm -hmm. Look at um, you know the, the, the positions that they're in. They, yeah. they control the cultural or organs. Uh, uh, they control Hollywood, uh, on the, uh, the education syst system, and whatnot. But at the same time, we must not forget that people have a yearning uh, for freedom. Yeah, uh, uh, they really, they really do. And this is why this conspiracy. This is why the deep state. They have to lie. They have to uh, uh, deceive. Because if they were to be absolutely truthful in saying, "Okay, we want to form this new world order," not because we're doing it uh, in the name of the peoples of the world, mm. but because we want complete and absolute control and power over everybody and everyone, yeah. uh, they would not be uh, successful. And I think they're in a state of panic. I think they're running scared. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were getting there through what I consider the most sophisticated means possible. Like you had mentioned, they had taken over most of the institutions, public and private, uh, in, a, in a roundabout way with the private and they were they had taken over the education system so-called they were indoctrinating people to grow up and to demand socialism and whatnot it seems like in a way that's kind of failed uh, I think one thing we definitely need to talk about is this difference between democracy and republics because we have people the most popular right-wing alternative media pundit Tucker Carlson, he still uses the word democracy. There's lots of them. Um, Steve, I'm going to hand it off to you, and then we're probably going to run out of time and go in the break and consider this and, and continue this. But can you start by explaining what is the difference? I got an email from Communist Party USA. I'm, uh, you know, I subscribe to their little newsletters. And uh, just today or yesterday, and they were talking, they always use the term democracy. So I think it's, isn't it pretty telling that the communists use the term democracy, that that's what they're trying to implement here, Steve? Well, absolutely. And I mean, I mean, okay, so, so, so we, we, we've, we've done violence to the terminology, as is so often the case. Words lose their specificity. I mean, nowadays we think that republic is just a generic term for any form of government that's not headed by a monarch. Okay, so you have people's republics, you have democratic social republics. I mean, every country in the world, <clears throat> including, you know, communist China, for example, styles itself a republic. 
But but originally, so so the, so the meaning of the term has actually changed. Okay. Right? But I, I think the way to look at it is this: there are popular governments, meaning governments by the people, and they take two basic forms. One of those forms has been shown by long experience to be good, and the other not so good. Okay, so. We should say, you know, popular government. And then we divide it into democracies and republics. And a democracy is, is a popular government. It is a government by the people. But it's not a well-constituted government. It is intrinsically unstable because what it means is that the majority rules that whatever the people want or the mob want or the masses want at any given moment mm -hmm. is what's going to happen. And probably I should trail off there because we're running out of time. But we can continue this in the next segment. We will, and we're going to talk about the attempts to turn us from a republic to a democracy right after this. Self-reliance. It's not a phrase we hear much in our culture these days. It might conjure up images of pioneers, the West, rifles, strapping men, and strong women. But what does it mean for us in today's world? The New American Magazine has just released its latest collector's edition, Self-Reliance, Foundation of Freedom. In it, the New American authors outline the necessity of self-reliance for a free people, tips for self-reliant living, and the importance of not giving up hope. This unique edition includes articles on the self-sufficiency of the founders, preparing for a worst-case scenario, firearms, financial self-reliance, the importance of community, and many other topics by expert writers. Now, for a limited time, the New American is offering a bundle of three collector's editions, self-reliance, the Great Reset, and Trump World for just $19.95. A great stocking stuffer available at shopjbs.org. Visit shopjbs.org today. Hey folks, The New American will be at CPAC next week and we'll be bringing you exclusive interviews and news right from the event in Washington, D.C. I'll be there along with my colleague, TNA Senior Editor Veronica Karolinko, and we're going to talk to some of the most important people in GOP politics. So make sure to tune in to thenewamerican.com next week for exclusive TNA coverage of CPAC. All right, folks, we're back. Steve, you wanted to continue your explanation of what constitutes uh, republics and democracies. Right. So once again, popular governments in general, governments where the people's you know, will is paramount as opposed to the rule, will of some sovereign or mm -hmm. some, some group of sovereigns. Okay. So democracies are, you know, they take sort of different forms, but but um, but basically a democracy is a government that tries to reproduce as immediately and as completely as possible the will of the majority at any given moment. Yes. This is what the Athenians tried to do in ancient Greece, mm -hmm. certainly what the French revolutionaries tried to do. And it's considered by all Marxist theorists to be an essential stepping stone between, you know, what we have now, ev evil bourgeois capitalism, et cetera, et cetera, to you know, the cloud cuckoo land of true communism. Democracy is this intermediary step. And the reason is because Marx and everyone else who, you know, all these other Marxist theorists understand very well that democracy is very easily manipulated. It can very easily be tilted into full-blown anarchy, uh, to bloodshed and civil war, all of which are circumstances that can be exploited mm -hmm. by people who would effect radical revolutionary change and bring about some sort of a, you know, like a communist dictatorship. Yeah. Okay. So that's democracy. And this wasn't, isn't something that just Karl Marx and his ilk recognized. James Madison, many of the founders also 
use that, that distinction. And, you know, it's, it's not by accident that the word democracy is not used in the Constitution. It's not referenced by the founders except as a term of opprobrium of popular, referring to popular governments where people tried to shake off the shackles of monarchy and tyranny, but ended up going too far in the other direction. Okay, so contrast that with a republic in the sense that the founders understood it. A republic is also a type of popular government, but it is one in which, although the majority is still very potent, its most greatest whims and excesses are reined in by the rule of law. People are held to be equal under the rule of law. Hopefully that law is going to be just and equitable. Yeah. Okay. And the point is that a properly constituted republic will have features that democracies do not necessarily possess. For example, the separation of powers, uh, uh, systems of checks and balances, the notion of the paramountcy of law over ruler and ruled alike, hence the need for a written constitution that supposedly, you know, binds everyone down, all that type of thing. So these are features of well-constituted republics. Now, there are different types of republics, you know, unitary, compound, aristocratic. We need to get into those. America is what's called a compound or federal republic, all right? Mm -hmm. That is the form of government. You can find that in any any properly informed political science text. And the idea is, as Madison and many of the other founders argued, that this was shown by experience to be a much more stable form of government by the people. Mm -hmm. The Roman Republic and the Republic of Venice being preeminent, but not by no means the only examples in history. Gary, what's wrong with the rule by the majority? Well, let's say the majority votes that you have to shave not only your head, but your beard. Would you want to do that, Paul? Uh, (laughs) That's the problem with democracy, seriously, is is that uh, uh, whatever the majority says goes. But, uh, uh, you know, and it's assuming that the majority um, expresses truth, that the majority is always going to be right. But are majorities already always right? uh, was the majority or were the mobs right uh, at the time when the French Revolution? Uh, well, uh, the French Revolution or when Jesus was uh, was crucified? The thing is, in the long run, the majority is usually right. The problem is the short run when people are roused by pa- right. passions of the moment. Well, it, but there's also an element of democracy in 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 a republic, right? Because well, there there are that's democratic what compo- that's elements. What but the interesting people. thing is, when you look at the U.S. Constitution, it is originally written because obviously it's been uh, amended over the years, mm-hmm. but it was actually only the House of Representatives that the founding fathers intended, only the House members who would be elected directly by the people. Let's not forget that the senators uh, were elected not directly by the people, but they were elected by the, uh, State the legislatures. states. And of course, the concept was this. The concept was for legislation to become law that had to be supported not only by a majority of the people is represented by their representatives in the House representatives, it also had to be supported by a majority of the states, is represented by the U.S. senators representing their states. And only if both those things applied could the bill become law. Was that because it gave priority to the states over the majority? Well, was it that certainly the idea? was a salute to the state rights. And, and let's not forget that the, the national government did not create the states. Uh, right. The states already existed. Not only did they already exist, but when they broke away from Great Britain and fought a war for their independence, uh, they were, in a sense, 13 separate sovereigns. There were 13 separate countries. Mm. And so they formed a, uh, a compact, that compact being under the, uh, the Constitution, 
And the powers that were delegated to that by the people of the states, those powers were few and defined, and all other powers were uh, left to the uh, uh, the states. Right. So uh, each state also had its own sovereignty. Yeah, and each and and that's that's I think one of the things that people don't understand today, unfortunately, and I'm sure this is intentional, is that the states have preeminence over the federal government, or at least in theory, that doesn't seem to be happening anymore. Steve, can you tell us more about how we got to this place where the sen- senators are now elected just like they, just like con- uh, like representatives in, in, the, in the House of Representatives? Well, that, that was affected by means of constitutional amendment at the same time as the, the ushering of the permanent So it was a constitutional manner, through a constitutional Well, amendment. yes, it was one of the, it was one of the many um, uh, agenda points of a movement that we now call the progressive movement, which coalesced in, after the Civil War. Mm-hmm. particularly in the northern states and the northeast. And the idea of the progressive movement, which was heavily influenced by European leftist radicals, Marxists included, was that, well, you know, the founders had a good idea, but they didn't take it far enough. We need to be more democratic. And obviously, there are a number of, uh, there are a number of aspects of, this concept, of the system we have that are, that are artifacts of the old European aristocratic way of thinking. And one of them is the fact that we have senators who are not elected by the people. You have to be able to trust the people and everything. Everything should go through the people. That yeah. was that was the idea. So we, we got rid of that. Now we're seeing hearing something very similar, incidentally, regarding the Electoral College. Mm. And in point of fact, again, yes, this, they, going back to this de jure, de facto uh, distinction, de jure, according to the law, the president is still elected formally by the electors that are appointed by each state legislature. Right. Okay, but the de facto, of course, is that it's the popular vote that determines that. Nothing in the Constitution says that. And the very notion that the people as a whole should, that the president should be elected by a plebiscite, the same as the representatives, would have been abhorrent to the founders because, you know, they, in the original form of the republic, the president's powers were relatively minor. And so it was not this, this, this blood sport that we see today, this the election of the president, because the prize was relatively insignificant. The presidency did not, in the main, draw the same type of characters that draw, say, people who you know, would be modern American Caesars of the sort. That, and I don't necessarily accept Trump from this either, because while we do like a lot of things that Trump does, it's not at all clear to me that Trump has a clear understanding of a lot of these principles. Yeah. Okay. Well, when do you think it started so. to go that way? Well, I, again, as with Roman history, you know, the transition, the transition from republic to empire <clears throat> was a cheat, was affected over, you know, about a period of 150, maybe 200 years in point of fact. It was, it, was, it was a process and there were a number of different mileposts. And you can see the same here. So, for example, here, here are a few. Uh, we could start with the Civil War and talk about how one of the, one of the really unfortunate Outcomes. Results, out, outcomes of the Civil War was this notion that, well, now we've decided once and for all that what Gary was talking about earlier, you know, the idea of the states nullifying, you know, unjust and unconstitutional federal edicts and this sort of thing. Well, we're going to do away with that. It's been settled. Of course, what they never say is it's been settled by force. It was not settled in the courts. And so we've just sort of jettisoned this idea of nullification and with it, the whole notion of state supremacy. So the Civil War was a major point. World Wars One and Two, the New Deal. Uh, and, and many other things. Mm-hmm. What's going on now is another period like unto that, that will be mm-hmm. remembered if we continue the same tra- trajectory as a major way station on the road to tyranny. We're going to come back and discuss what our government should look like. Hey, America. 
How tired are you of mainstream corporate media's biased narratives and manipulated news? Their dishonesty and attempts to influence this generation have been exposed, put on display for anyone who's even half paying attention. But the New American Magazine has been an honest source of news and commentary for over 50 years. This is your opportunity to receive the stalwart of principled journalism at a deep discount. Picture a beautifully published magazine arriving at your doorstep twice a month, packed with insightful stories written with integrity. It's also available digitally on the New American's mobile app. Get up to speed with intelligent coverage from a freedom perspective. Right now, for a limited time, the New American is available to radio listeners at a 25% discount on a new subscription. Visit thenewamerican.com slash radio25 and receive 25% off. Subscribe today at thenewamerican.com slash radio25. The New American has just released our latest bookazine, a collection of articles on self-reliance. It's called Self-Reliance, Foundation of Freedom. Without individual responsibility and without the ability to take care of ourselves without government help, we cannot be free. In this Polished Collector's Edition, we have articles on a number of important topics, including the self-sufficiency of the founders, preparing for a worst-case scenario, firearm self-reliance, building a wood shack, and the importance of community, among many other topics. Now, the authors of the articles are experts in their fields. We encourage you to get a copy. You can order your copy at thenewamerican.com forward slash shop, or you can call our office at 800 800- 727-8783. However you do it, make sure you get your copy of Self-Reliance, The Foundation of Freedom. We're back. We need to talk about what our government should look like. And I think we can start, we were talking about the presidency. Let's start with what, the, what powers the president should and should not have. Uh, I especially want to hear whether or not what kind of power he should have as far as executive orders, because that seems like some sort of weird volleying back and forth. It just doesn't seem right because they come in, they sign these executive orders and tons of stuff changes. And then I don't know, another four or eight years, it changes again just by the signing of their pen. Can we start with that? Is that constitutional? Does anyone know? Well, no. Well, sure. An executive order is constitutional in the sense the original, I mean, Washington issued those executive orders in the original sense did not have the force of law or regulation. They were merely internal memoranda, mm. which any boss is entitled to send to his employees. That's what they were. They were orders that that bound all of the subordinates within the executive branch said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Yeah. Okay. But somewhere along the line, well, the way, they have morphed into yet another form of, of usurpation, just like just like regulations, you know, in other words, of, of, of siphoning off their legislative power from the legislative branch and apportioning it over to the executive branch. Mm-hmm. So executive law, uh, orders have become de facto law, edicts, if you will. So that's something that would, would disappear. Yeah. Oh, if, that's good. We, you know, that's good. And, and if we, we want to talk a few, a, a few more things. Okay, here's what the president should do under the Constitution. He should have power as Supreme Command, Commander-in-Chief of the Armed Forces in times of war, but he should be defer to Congress in times of peace or until such a time as Congress declares war under the Constitution. He should, of course, have the power to pardon. We know about that with certain, you know, it's qualified in certain ways. Mm-hmm. We'll get into that. Okay. Uh, he should be elected by the Electoral College. There should be no plebiscite or popular vote 
for the president. That's a tough one for a lot of people to swallow. <laughs> but we, sh we, the people, should not be voting for the president of the United States. Yeah, I think it would be easier to swallow, Steve, if uh, the president were limited to his proper role under yep. the Constitution. Well, that's the thing. The reason he it might be hard to swallow today is because of all the things the president's doing uh, that makes his position more important, yet things he's doing that are unconstitutional. Yeah. Right, and under such under under the proper circumstances, I mean, I can only think of one country in the world where they have managed to successfully dilute the power of the executive. That's Switzerland. They have seven executives at any time. No one knows their names. They're appointed for seven-year terms each year. Wow. One of them takes the lead, is the nominal president of Switzerland, mm. and that's it. Uh, okay, the Rome Rome had two consuls during the Republic. Anyway, so. You know, so the president would cease to be an elected monarch, which is what he is now. He enjoys most of the the prerogatives of traditional monarchs, at least yeah, in Western Europe. That's okay? true. Huh? And he would return to being a relatively insignificant figure who occasionally makes a stump speech, signs laws, and generally would not be a household not a household name, but would not be recognized by many people who passed him on the street. Oh. A far cry. From, 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 from this colossus, you know, this world, this mm -hmm. most powerful man in the, the universe. The most powerful man in the country. Right. Yeah. I mean, in the that, world. That, yeah, that's yeah, what so we that, keep that, here. That alone would be very hard for people to adjust to, but that's what's needed. How else do we get to the founders' original intent for the U.S. government? Well, um, we get back to the Constitution because that is their original intent, and, uh, and that's exactly what Steve was describing, getting back to the Constitution with regard to the executive branch. And, yeah, how do we do that, we can make the similar points about legislative and and judicial. Well, the way we do it is to inform the people and get them involved and get them organized. And I believe it can happen. And uh, part of that is recognizing that the solution is not uh, the the political races or partisan politics. Yeah. Uh, the solution is to create an awakening and an understanding so that when people actually vote, uh, they're both voting based on that information, and so they're going to be voting for people who support the Constitution, mm -hmm. and those who do not yeah. simply will not be uh, e electable. And it's going to have to be step by step, but uh, uh, we had in this country uh, the greatest experiment in human liberty yeah. in the history of the world. And it took a long time to get off course to the point where it is today. So we can get back there, but it's, it's, it's going take to a take. Long time, uh, huh? It's going to take a long time. It is going to take uh, years of effort, uh, and of course, we have to focus too, not just on one man, not who is the president, but let's focus on Congress because Congress is more important than the president. Congress, under our Constitution, is entrusted with the awesome responsibility of 100 percent of the uh, legislation. Uh, it is 100% uh, responsibility which means, for, for legislating. Which means that under a truly constitutional government, we would do away with 100% of the regulatory agencies. Right, exactly. There oh, would I be, love the sound There of that. would be no more federal regulations emanating mm -hmm. from any bureau or agency in Washington, D.C., and all existing agencies would be canceled. Okay, yep. and here's a couple of other things to think about. The, all of it. Okay, so here's some other. I'm sold on Republicanism. Well, we could we could we could, we could <laughs> give hundreds of examples, but here are a couple of other ones. We would get rid of the Federal Reserve Bank. Oh. We would get rid of the fiat currency, the mo the money system that comes with it. We would go back to a a system based on gold and silver. That's in the Constitution too. Okay, yeah. that's a big part of this. We would get out of the United Nations and we would re restore the full sovereignty of our government over our own foreign affairs. Yeah. And that would include a return 
to the constitutional provision of Congress declaring war, not the UN Security Council. But in order to accomplish that, we have to get a good Congress. And if we had a good Congress, a, a good Congress could rein in a rogue president. Yeah. But the opposite is not true because of the limited powers of the president under the Constitution. Mm -hmm. uh, a good president cannot uh, do a whole lot about a Congress that is totally out of control. And to get a good Congress... Uh, we have to focus on our congressional district. Can I, put, can I point out a couple more things that we need to go? Please do. Okay, so we need to get rid of the, the, the income tax, mm -hmm. all right, and most other forms oh, of I'm taxation. I'm all for that, yeah. The corporate taxes, <laughs> all these other things are unconstitutional. In fact, I don't think they ever amended the Constitution to allow for corporate taxes and capital gains taxes, but we do it anyway. Yeah. Okay, the federal government does it anyway. We would, you know, we, we would cease to regulate health care. We would cease to regulate finance and banking, and all other forms of business and commerce. We would cease to issue federal edicts on the environment. I mean, it goes on. We could go on and on. We're running out of time. That's just a taste yeah. of what would be involved. Okay? To, to, People talk about, oh, the terrible national debt and all these problems. Much of that debt problem would go away in a hurry if we cleared out the roughly 90% or more the welfare of all the, the stuff that the federal government does that it has no business doing under the Constitution. Yeah. That's what it would look like to go back to a free republic. Right. And I would mention one other thing. The American people would correspondingly have to waken from their slumber yes. and step up and take responsibility for self-government. Because, you know, popular governments and republics in particular require that, require civic virtue, as Montesquieu observed long ago. The people have to be willing to govern themselves. That's 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 the center point there. That's the foundation. Everything we're talking about, you know, Congress taking back the power that it has, uh, the, the decreasing the power of the presidency, it all requires that people wake up. Right. There's no way to have, you know, all those things you mentioned, the uh, UN, regulatory agencies and things, those are all, by the way, action projects of the John Birch Society. We recognized this long ago. Gary, I'm going to well, give you the last yes, few seconds. Yes, we're running out of time, but I want to interject one more thing. Not just working to get a good Congress, but working to get uh, good state legislatures mm. and, and good people on the state level and on the county level and the local level uh, because uh, through nullification and, of course, those local officials, yes. they also take an oath to the Constitution. They can stop unconstitutionalism from the federal government at their state borders. People have to treat this like the battle that it is. Just because there aren't guns blazing yet, this is absolutely the most important battle. We are fighting for the life of the republic. Thank you, gentlemen, and thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of the New American Daily.